It is 26 minutes past the hour, and we're joined by Pastor Robbie Pruitt. Robbie, an Anglican pastor, lives in Virginia, a church in Fairfax, Virginia. Also the executive director of Preserving Bible Times. And um, frankly, we're blessed to have him here just about every Thursday morning. We learn tons of stuff from him, and I just, I've already learned something. And we, the, the ash on the, on the forehead, you know, a lot of you were, were, were sporting that yesterday. And those are supposed to come, Robbie tells me, from from what? From the Palms, from Palm Sunday. Good to be with you, Jim and David, on the Broken Road. Thanks for having me on today. Always a pleasure and a joy. Well, so last year's palm fronds are supposed to be uh, just dried and uh, and then burned, and that provides the ash. Uh, But uh, David was just talking, too, and and, and he said the ashes are in little (laughs) tins. So I imagine that a church could buy a tin of ashes somewhere. Yeah, you could. Uh, traditionally, however, you you burn the palm fronds, uh, mm-hmm. dry them, mm-hmm. and then burn them, uh, crush them up maybe in a mortar and uh, pestle, and then mm-hmm. mix them with a little bit of holy oil for the sticking. Right. <laughs> the sticking well, I, I'm wondering then if, about the symbolism of palm fronds, because as I understand it, and, and uh, uh, we and Doug Greenwald talk about uh, Palm Sunday, talked about it many times over the years, the palm frond is, is an Israeli nationalist symbol, and it's not like they're waving them. And, and, and I mean, this, this is like a call for revolution to be ra- waving palm fronds in front of the Roman soldiers and in front of the, uh, the Jerusalem religious establishment. This, this is saying power to the people, kind of. Um, so you, but, but in churches these days, if you have churches at all for Palm Sunday, it's like, like, like waving at God. You know, just it takes it, it. We underestimate the the gravity of what uh, the actual meaning of that. The symbolism and some of the dangers of you know we throw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm. I think in the Protestant Reformation, I know David is uh, Lutheran, so I was joking earlier that he was the first one out the door. <laughs> but uh, we don't want to lose these traditions. Because these traditions have meaning, just like you mentioned with the palms. I mean, the palms have nationalistic, Jewish nationalistic meaning. They actually found in the Dead Sea Scrolls palm fronds and, and stamped on coins mm-hmm. uh, in, in the Dead Sea caves of Qumran where the De- Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And so, yeah, those palms have meaning. And then we carry that meaning, but we don't want to lose the meaning. I mean, there are some churches that do not observe Lent at all. They don't observed what we observed last night, which was an interesting convergence. We, we've got February the 14th, it's, it's Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and then you've got the beginning of Lent. A fa- a, John a Stone Street addressed that very issue on, on Breakpoint yesterday. What, what a strange juxtaposition here to have Valentine's Day right with Ash Wednesday. I, I wonder if there's some sort of cosmic cosmic meaning in this, like, like a conjunction of Saturn and, and Venus. You know, what, what's going and, on? And it, it had occurred to me, one of the guys that, had, that helps the minister uh, put the cross on your forehead has always been, and he's always been, he's always done this. He's the guy that owns the local mortuary. Whoa. He's, it's, and it's a small town. It's a town, town to 2,000 people. He owns the local funeral home. I mean, he's, he's the guy. He, you he know knows. what the joke is, David? He's the last one in your life that'll let you down. That's right. He's the last one to let me down. That's right. <laughs> it, it's oh. job security for him. You yeah, know, it's Genesis so. three nineteen. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's God's words of judgment to Adam, 
and it's the wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. is how Paul said it in Romans. So we begin, I mean, I think it's the biggest gift that the church gives. And I'll, I'm going to tell you a quick story kind of related to this that without divulging any names, but we had a parishioner, a visitor to our church last night at Ash Wednesday, and she lost her husband a month ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the points that I brought up to her was, you know, this is a gift the church gives to remind us of our mortality. And it reminds us of what our sin, the payment for our sin. I mean, this is one time where you don't want your wages. You know, Mm. a lot of people say, give me what I deserve or pay me what I'm owed. And what we're owed is death. The wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death. So if that's true, what Paul says, we, this is one case we don't want our paycheck, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but because of our sin entering into the world, it, it leads us to death. Sin equals death. Sin brings death into the world. And basically what we're we're reminding people yearly, you know, number your days, as the psalmist says, that our days are numbered and that we should be reminded of our mortality. And I, I brought up the point that she gave us a gift and that she was living Ash Wednesday in a sense. She was living in the shadow of death. Mm. And, and that it was very much on the front of her mind and her son's mind who visited us. I mean, they graced us with their presence. But here's the fun thing about Ash Wednesday. So we, we're, we're here at the beginning of Lent. We began with Shrove Tuesday or what's known as Fat Tuesdays when you purge your house of all the, the fat because you're about to enter into a, a feast season. So you grab your flour and your butter, you make the pancakes and and you celebrate one final feast before the fast, and that's Tuesday. And then, as you mentioned, on Valentine's Day this this Wednesday, we have Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of Lent. Lent is a 40-day season of, of fasting and prayer, not including Sundays, which are always feast days. So because we celebrate the Eucharist on a, on a Sunday, those days are always feast days. So Lent ends up being more like you know, 43, 46 days, depending on how you're celebrating or observing it. And that's uh, preparing baptismal candidates to be baptized at the, at the Easter vigil on a Saturday night. Uh, So this is a preparatory season where we prepare ourselves for the great Easter feast. Is uh, and I, I th- I'm thinking more sermons during any time of the year, but this time of the year particularly should be on that very topic that the the wages of sin is death. Yeah, that is yeah. so huge, and it explains almost everything. We are sinners. Death is with us. Christ's death was a substitute for our death, but someone someone had to die. Yeah. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at the sign. I mean. The imposi- let's just take the imposition of ashes. You've got holy oil mixed in with ashes from Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes in at the pa- Passion Week, Holy Week. He comes into the city of Jerusalem to die. And so those palms are what's being waved to usher in the Messiah into the city, through the eastern gate most likely. And those ashes imposed on the forehead and the sign of the cross, that we mark the sign of the cross, which you're marked with, by the way, at your baptism, with holy oil, 
you are marked as Christ's own forever. At your baptism, oil, holy oil, is uh, imposed on your head in the sign of the cross. So you've got that same reminder, uh, not only of your death, but of Jesus's death, it's a cross, and a reminder of your baptism, that you're saved by Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So not only is are you marked with the curse, you're marked with the cross upon which was hung the curse. Remember what the scriptures say, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might have his righteousness, the righteousness of God. So that symbol is both um, the curse and the hope of salvation and restoration and resurrection. Any idea where the tradition came from? Well, when it was started, how far back it goes? Yeah, I mean, it goes way back to the early church, and I, I don't have all those details, but I, what I want to talk about is that it's as old as the Old Testament. Number mm. one, it's as old as Genesis 319. Mm. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So let's just take God at its word, and we should remember that we're dust, <laughs> that we're going to die. How often do you think about that? We don't go around. Now your undertaker friend thinks about it every day. You know, and let's hope he didn't get those ashes from his workplace, (laughs) right? But Uh, he gets them wholesale, so to speak. That's right. (laughs) Let's take God. Let's take God at His word, and we're supposed to remember our mortality, as the psalmist says that we're to number our days. So, what's wrong with a symbol that helps you remember once a year? There's nothing wrong with it. Matter of fact, you could do that every day. Maybe you could keep a little tin of dust on your, you know, desk mm-hmm. while you work and remember. Uh, number your days, and that's important. So let's go back to Genesis. Now the other place is uh, is sackcloth and ashes. There's an Old Testament tradition that those who were repenting or mourning might tear their garments and put on sackcloth and cover themselves in ashes as an outward visible sign of their repentance or their mourning. So this is as old as the Old Testament. So a lot of times people, especially Christians, especially mainline Protestants, um, especially when you get further and further from the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Anglican Church, which I'm a part of, or the Catholic Church, who is holding these traditions dearly and protecting them, and uh, we have a lot to learn from, from that tradition being carried on these last 2,000 years. It's important that we remember there's nothing wrong with these symbols or signs. And in the time of Jesus, Jesus read his Old Testament. So you've got examples in the Old Testament of Jonah and Nineveh, everyone putting on sackcloth and ashes. It's in Esther. It's in mm. Daniel. Daniel uh, fasted and prayed. And you can see in Daniel 9, verse 3, Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Remembering that that Daniel at that time was was captive in the Babylonian Empire, yeah. Um, Do you... Do you do this in public? Because Jesus said, 
go into your closet and, and, and you know, pray to God and, and don't show off in public. Don't don't pretend you're suffering when you're fasting. Don't don't put on airs to to uh, to boost your your self-esteem or your 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 reputation in the eyes of the public. Isn't this a, a quiet thing between you and God? Sackcloth and yeah. ashes even. I mean, really. Yeah, I would I would say yes and I would also say no. I mean, he, here here's the thing. I think the key in Matthew 6 Jesus says to be seen by men. So if our motivation is only to be seen by men or to put on airs of holiness without actual inward repentance, which Joel chapter 2 Joel, the minor prophet, which is one of the standard um, Ash Wednesday readings, or you can choose Isaiah, uh, the Isaiah passage, which we chose last night because I, I preached on Joel last year, but Isaiah 58, 1 through 12 is the other passage. But in Joel chapter 2, Joel says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Hmm. That the the fast that God is looking for is that fast or that that repentance that David had, a broken and contrite heart. Oh Lord, you will not despise. Now that being said, there is value in public and corporate repentance. I just uh, attended at Museum of the Bible a a national day of prayer and repentance. It was public. It was live streamed. It was at the Museum of the Bible. The Speaker of the House showed up. All these different politicians off the hill came over to Museum of the Bible. They couldn't give speeches. They were there to do one thing and one thing only, and that was to pray and repent. And many of them were fasting. And now we're currently in a 21-day of prayer and fasting time from that, where we're continuing to pray and fast for our nation. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you can't read Jonah and see the entire uh, city of Nineveh repenting and putting on sack, even their animals put on sackcloth and ashes. Even, even the animals donned the, uh, donned the, uh, the sackcloth and, and repented as if the animals needed to repent. I mean, it must be bad when Fido's out in the backyard in sackcloth and ashes. But the point being is there is biblical precedent for public and corporate fasting, prayer, and repentance. Well, Christians were made to be in community to begin with. Yeah. So when yes, they do yeah. this together, that's not like showing off. That's yeah. like like I'm on this team, and, and, I, and I've never been part of a church that does the ashes on the forehead. And I've never sought one out for that that reason. But every time I see somebody, and, and it happens on TV a lot, people you watch on TV all of a sudden appear with these crosses and ash on their forehead, and I'm saying, that person's a Christian. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know that. Mm. Yep. I was I was dropping my son off for school yesterday, and it's a it's a Methodist school. And um, it's not necessarily Christian. There's some people there that are Christians, some people aren't. Hmm. And when we're in the car line, there were two or three teachers with ashes on their forehead. And my first thought was, oh, 
these people are Christian. My second thought was, oh, they're Catholic. Um, they're Catholic Christians. So that mark is a visible sign. And why not? I mean, you know, you see this uh, in our culture today uh, that uh, there are people wearing turbans and hijabs, and you've got, you know, the the Indian people wear have the dot on their forehead. I mean, they're outward visible signs that tell people, um, kind of identify you with who you are and what you believe, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, again, now, if we're doing it to be seen by men, the question is, what does that mean? Because let me, let me just go back to Daniel. Daniel fasted, prayed, put on sackcloth and ashes. He was in a foreign land as a Jew, and there was uh, there was the proclamation that people could not pray. And so Daniel took it upon himself to not only pray in opposition to the king's edict, but he prayed in front of his open window so that everybody could see him. Is Daniel wrong? Is Jesus rebuking the Old Testament um, observation of corporate prayer, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes? Is he rebuking public prayer? I mean, do you pray publicly at your church? Do you have public and open prayer? Of course you do. Yes, we do. <laughs> you know, sure. of, course, of course you do. Uh, so what's wrong with it? And, and I, I think the answer is potentially nothing. But again, are we heaping up words to say, oh, look at how spiritual this person is. Look at how smart they are. Look at how great their vocabulary is. Look at how wonderful they pray. Is it to be seen by men? Well, you have your reward if that's why you're doing it. So to Matthew 6, I mean, Jesus's context is uh, public piety without substance. And Daniel's context is persecution and really kind of civil disobedience, uh, showing that he's going to honor God, his king, before the king. Uh, that brings up a question. And, and, and back to, uh, to Matthew 6 now. And when you pray... This, this is Jesus teaching his disciples, uh, and, and more than just the 12. He was surrounded by a crowd at the time here. So, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What constitutes an empty phrase? Because I think of all the times I've been in a group prayer, and we go from person to person to person to person to person, and I'm thinking, let's get this over with. Let's get this over with. <laughs> What constitutes or, an empty phrase when you pray? When or, or when the, we do or, that, at, when we do that at council, we have an option of of passing. We say pass. Yeah, and, pass. I, I yeah. don't need to pray. You you yeah. know this person ditto to what Susie said. Mm -hmm. She nailed right. it. You know. If you don't. <laughs> well, then then there's the there's that awkward the si silence at the end where there's nobody left to pray. So you wait and you wait and and then then the the pastor takes over and says okay. No. I got the yeah. con now. Yeah. And right. we can't stand the awkward silence either, by the way, when we're in that. True. And who's to say prayer has anything to do with what we're saying to God? Exactly. I mean, when's the last time you got in a room full of people and you just shut up for about an hour and silently listen to God? Hmm. See, we, th we think prayer is a one-way street. I talk to God. He's happy to hear from me. Hmm. <laughs> we think we're done. <laughs> um you know, my argument with the Protestant <laughs> prayer circles is that, you know, most of those folks think that God doesn't know who he is. 
And so most of those prayers, if you just cut out the labels, yeah, oh, Lord, that, God, that's, God, That's what Lord I object Jesus, to. I said, he knows that. Friend, he knows yeah. that already. <laughs> How many names yeah. for God can we get into this? And then when we can't think of another one, we throw in our um, 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 mm-hmm. Lord, God, God, um. Exactly. I just, and then just, just is thrown in there. Mm-hmm. And just, we pray just in a hedge of protection. And, and yeah, we heap up these things and we get lost in the hubbub and— isn't prayer more than that? I mean, isn't prayer listening? I'm making light of it. I, I shouldn't, you know. I, I've, but I've you're, but you're right. Life. And and to me, <laughs> listening is as important as talking. I mean, to me, the the whole point of prayer is to receive His attention somehow, not to get it with my words. But I want to I want to know what's on His mind about me, and listening yeah. is the best way to do that. And that is very productive prayer for me personally yeah as long as you stay focused yeah generally speaking when i'm praying in public i don't think about what i'm going to say until i start Hmm. and my theory is or my belief is he'll supply the words yeah well that's the romans 8 principle that god interprets our groans he doesn't we don't know how to pray as we ought but his spirit intercedes with our spirit and he interprets our groans that's my, my favorite. I don't know how to pray. Listen, I, I, I've been fumbling around with following Jesus and reading my Bible for over 30 years, and I'm still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I heap up empty phrases. Sometimes I know I need to be quiet because right now I'm just being influenced by the pressure of the people around me. And maybe I'm just saying these words to be seen by men. Or maybe instead of just saying, um, or a hundred names for God, I just wait until the Spirit prompts me with the, with the right words. But we're anxious people, and we don't know how to listen, and we, we, we don't know how to be in community necessarily and to do this well corporately. I mean, we're in a hurry, and by the way, let's get to lunch. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are, but... You know, the, the key thing here is that in Jesus's time, people were not praying with substance. They were praying with the improper motivation. And I think, I think our motivation matters, which is why Joel says, rend your hearts, not your garments. But I think we can get wrapped up and throw away a lot of good, you know, we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. We can throw away a lot of good, rich, corporate and visible traditions in the name of protest and protest for protest sake. I mean, just case in point, I mean, I, I just wrote a, a quick newsletter for Preserving Bible Times uh, yesterday on Ash Wednesday. And usually it's radio silent. I get zero feedback from newsletters most of the time, maybe mm. one or two thank yous. But this thing blew up with people telling me mm. all the things that were wrong with Lent or even mentioning it. <laughs> you know, and mm. and I began with this verse from Daniel, and and of course people quote Matthew six immediately. Oh, you're not supposed to do any of this publicly. Well, listen, quit going to church and quit praying out loud if you're not supposed to do it publicly. Mm. It's not just about rubbing some ash and oil on your forehead that you're that you should be upset about. If you know, follow your logic to its logical conclusion. And, uh, hey, just don't do anything. Just stay in your closet. Literally lock yourself in the closet. (laughs) I mean, mean, this literal reading of the Scripture without the contextual reading of the Scripture leaves us lost. Exactly. 
Exactly. And then and, and you mentioned Preserving Bible Times. That newsletter can come to you free in your email every month, sometimes more than one a month. And you learn a bunch of stuff about how to read the Bible and what's in between the lines. It turns things into to full cinematic color and, and, and three dimensions. Uh, the context is all important in understanding what's been written. And it's not adding anything new to Scripture. No. It's been there all the time. But from our cultural perspective, we typically miss it. And uh, that's one of the reasons we had Doug on for so many years and, this, uh, and, and why Robbie is, is so gracious to be with us now and spend, spend time teaching us not only the Bible, but the context, what's between the lines. And that's especially important when it comes to Lent and to um, and, and liturgy, because liturgy really is a tool that, that's taught to us. Well, I, I guess the temptation is to not see the context in that. It seems like, like just a regimen after a while. But there's a reason for, for everything in the liturgical calendar. And it's, it's useful when, uh, when you know the context that goes along with it. And that's why we're yeah. so grateful to Robbie here. So, I like to call it a modern-day format for formation. Hmm. Yeah, that's Very all good. it is. Yeah. Robbie, we thank you. We learned something again today. And uh, Lent continues. And it, it's, you know, whether you, you go out in public or do it in your closet, just, just do it. Your motivation is what counts. And uh, just be, be a part of this, uh, this Christian community. Um, if you feel like a stranger, that's okay. A lot of us do from time to time. But uh, mm-hmm. stick with it because the prize is incalculable. And uh, Robbie, again, thank you very much for spending time with us. We'll look forward to uh, next time. Again, Robbie, the Executive Director of Preserving Bible Times. Their website is preservingbibletimes.org. If you're listening on brokenroadradio.com this morning, you can just click over to the right there on Preserving Bible Times. It'll take you right there. You can sign up for the newsletter. There's no charge. Just give us your email, and and you'll receive that, uh, and you'll look forward to it every month. Robbie, have a great week, and we'll look forward to next week. Godspeed, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me on The Broken Road. Always a joy, a privilege, and a pleasure.